Hi, and welcome to HR Trends. I'm your host, Nate Smith, and I am joined with Alan McCann, Unum leading expert on both employment law and compliance, as well as vaccine mandate requirements and a host of other issues that are facing employers in today's ever-shifting regulatory environment. So we're going to start. Um, Ellen, why don't we just cover the basics of the mandate to begin with? So, Nate, we learned a lot more about the specifics, specifically with regard to the mandate that does apply to employers that have 100 or more employees um, and what they're going to have to do. So we knew when the president made his announcement back on September 9th that there would be a mandate for these employers that are considered to be larger employers, so 100 or more employees. And we knew that that mandate would have the uh, capability of an employer to say that all of their employees have to become vaccinated or test at least weekly for COVID-19, but we didn't have any specifics. So it was left to OSHA, uh, the governing body that is the body responsible for issuing guidance that controls workplace safety to issue some more specific regulations or guidance on how the plan would actually work. And what OSHA has done is they've issued what they call an emergency temporary standard. Um, and that's important because an emergency temporary standard can be issued whenever OSHA believes there's grave danger and they can issue these guidelines or rules that are going, going to go into effect immediately without the normal course of rulemaking and public comment that you typically see when a, an agency enacts um, some regulations. So they went ahead and they issued this emergency temporary standard and really kind of fleshed out the details of what the mandate will look like. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, we know it does apply to employers with 100 or more employees. But what has been clarified is that employers have a choice. <clears throat> Excuse me. So employers can choose whether to have a policy that requires their employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19, subject to required religious and uh, medical accommodations, or employers can have a plan that says, employee, you can either be vaccinated or you can submit negative test results from COVID-19 tests at least weekly. Prior to receiving the ETS, we weren't sure if employers would have a choice about whether they could allow testing as an option or whether they would have to allow testing as an option for all employees. What's now clear is that employers have the ability to choose whether it would be vaccination uh, subject to those exemptions I mentioned, or whether they can allow their employees the choice, vaccination or testing. Now, either way, the employer still has to consider and evaluate requests for valid religious or medical exemptions from employees. But we at least now know the scope of what the employer's policy can look like. And in terms of who is covered, like which employees are covered, um, certainly we knew that, that, that you know, employees of of employers of more than 100 uh, workers were covered. But what other specifics and differences do we know in terms of, you know, federal workers, healthcare workers, and then different types of empl employees, such as remote employees and, and people who are or are not uh, in physical proximity to other workers? So the plan here, the mandate plan really has several different components that relate to different types of employees. And different regulatory agencies were charged with developing the rules based on the employee population. 
So federal employees were already covered. They have to get vaccinated unless they have a religious or medical exemption that's valid. Uh, same thing is true for employees of federal contractors and most employees of healthcare um, organizations. So those are different uh, and separate guidance of basically the same umbrella mandate. What we know about the OSHA rules that came out last week is that under the OSHA rules, employees who work for an employer that has 100 or more employees are going to be subject to this. However, what's interesting is because OSHA is regulating work site safety, they did say that employees who work from home, who work exclusively outside, uh, or who work in a location where there are no other employees are not going to be subject to this mandate. So those employees won't be covered. However, employers need to be careful because if you have an employee who works from home full time, but they are going to come into the office on a sporadic or occasional basis, they do need to be tested for COVID-19 within seven days of coming into the workplace. And they have to produce a negative test result by the, the latest, the day they actually come into the workplace. So that's important to note because again, even if they aren't typically subject to the mandate, they will be if they're coming into your work site. Interesting, interesting. And how about the timeline for when employers need to have uh, programs in place to manage and, and respond to these mandates? What did we learn about when employers are expected to take action? This is part of the ETS that's a little bit uh, confusing, confusing, and you will see probably different commentary on this. But one thing that I think is, is really helpful is OSHA has published a chart on their website that shows compliance dates and requirements. So according to the OSHA chart, employers who choose to adopt a policy requiring proof of vaccination must adopt and implement that policy within 30 days of OSHA's ETS being published or by December 5th, 2021. And then they have to uh, ensure that all employees who are actually allowed to test for COVID are going to start testing on January 4th, 2022. But interestingly enough, employers that adopt a policy allowing testing as an option still must require all unvaccinated employees to wear a face covering at work beginning on December 5th, 2021. So different timeframes here with the majority of this being effective in a very short amount of time. So basically 30 days after the ETS was published with that testing requirement being pushed out 60 days after the ETS was published. So in, in short order, employers are expected to, to do something. And again, we'll, we'll talk about the possible impacts of the injunction in just a few minutes. As employers start to look at vaccination and proof of vaccination, what type of, of vaccination proof and, and how are they supposed to uh, record and hold on to proof of vaccination if they're going in that direction? So the ETS is clear that uh, employers have to determine the vaccination status of their employees. And in order to do that, they actually have to look at some proof of vaccination. That proof can include the vaccination card, medical records showing that the employee was vaccinated, or records from a public health agency. Um, and then once they have those records, they actually have to maintain the records 
for each employee. So verbal confirmation from an employee is not acceptable. Um, and they have to preserve this acceptable proof of vaccination for each employee who is fully or partially, partially vaccinated. And importantly, each employer has to maintain a roster of each of its employees' vaccination status. And that roster has to be in writing and they have to make sure it's accurate based on not only looking at that proof, but maintaining documentation of that proof. Relative to exemptions, what more did we learn about what's adequate as an exemption and how employers must either track or manage exemption requests as they come in? So we learned that there will be a few limited places where an employee can show that they're entitled to an exemption. So basically what the ETS says is that um, all employees have to be vaccinated unless, of course, the employer allows testing subject to some very limited exceptions. And so those are exceptions for employees for whom a vaccination is medically contraindicated, um, employees for whom um, medical necessity suggests a delay in vaccination, and those who are legally entitled to a reasonable accommodation under either the ADA or Americans with Disabilities Act because they have a medical condition that prevents them uh, from getting vaccinated or because the employee has a sincerely held religious belief that prevents them from getting vaccinated. Now, with respect to the specifics around the medical and religious exemptions, OSHA really pointed us back to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission who has issued guidance and who is responsible for overseeing the laws that deal with exemptions based on those requirements. And so we're really looking back to what it, some employers may be already familiar with, with the obligation to evaluate an employee who claims that they can't follow a workforce policy due to either a sincerely held religious belief or a um, medical um, reason. Now, uh, the EEOC did issue some very recent guidance on how employers should be thinking about in reviewing religious accommodations just within the last couple of weeks, because this is an area where many employers may not have much experience with religious objections or religious exemptions to workplace policies. So very recently, the EEOC gave us some new guidance on that. Is there anything that you can share about what what that guidance is, or is that something that em employers should really be looking at themselves and, and getting familiar with? Employers really do want to look at them themselves, but kind of a high-level overview is that um, the employee doesn't have to subscribe to a recognized or organized religion uh, to be entitled to a religious exemption. However, political views, personal views, uh, opinions about the vaccine that are not based in sincerely held religious beliefs are not sufficient, according to the EEOC. They've also said, and this is important for employers to understand, that although employers have to grant an accommodation for a sincerely held religious belief, unless it creates an undue hardship, the standard for undue hardship is much lower than it is under an ADA threshold. So undue hardship for religious exemptions means more than just a minimal burden on the employer. So much lower threshold. One thing employers are going to wanna to take a look at is the EEOC has specifically identified what an undue hardship is 
when we're talking about safety protocols. Uh, so it's very important for employers to take a look at how that applies, particularly in the context of a pandemic. So moving on to testing, are the similar requirements, we talked a little bit about the the, the record and proof that needs to be maintained in terms of proof of vaccination. Um, relative to testing, are similar requirements uh, there around testing? Do, do employers need to be maintaining records of test compliance in a similar way that they manage the proof of vaccination? They do. So employers will have to maintain records of test results and the employee is obligated to provide a negative test result at least every seven calendar days. And so one of the things that OSHA has suggested is that employees schedule uh, their testing for the same day each week so that they are sharing their test results within seven days of the last time they shared a test result. One really important thing to note that is something that we weren't sure uh, how OSHA was going to come down on it, but is that is the type of testing that can be accepted. So testing cannot be an at-home rapid test unless that test is proctored. And that's important for employers to note because a lot of employers I spoke with had a plan to just send home rapid tests to their employees and have the employee take a picture of the test results. OSHA has told us that due to the potential for fraud in that, that those types of test results will not be valid. So that you can have a rapid test, but it has to be monitored or proctored by a healthcare professional. The other thing that they have uh, told us that is definitive now is that a antibody test will not be sufficient either. So we know a little bit more about the kinds of tests that employers are going to have to have their employees submit to, as well as we know that these test results have to be shared with their employer at least once every seven calendar days. So at this point, employers know enough, and, and certainly they've already been looking for solutions. Um, they're looking for ways to to meet these requirements. Um, we don't like to overly promote Unum products on the podcast, but Unum has a solution, Unum Vaccine Verifier, um, that's built to, to meet these requirements. Can you tell us a little bit about how Unum Vaccine Verifier is built specifically to meet these requirements, and also, you know, the, the types of things that you, that people should be looking at in general for any solution um, that they're looking for to help manage compliance with the mandate? So our solution does comply with all of the requirements of the mandate, and it provides employers with a secure, easy, and compliant way uh, to get that vaccination status from their employees, keep the vaccination documentation that they're going to need, as well as maintain that roster of employees' vaccination status, which will be so important, not only because, of course, OSHA could come and audit, but because under the OSHA rules, any employee can ask for an aggregate of the number of employees at the work site that are vaccinated versus the number of employees that are there. Obviously, that would be uh, de-identified information. Um, it wouldn't be specific to any other employee other than themselves. But employees and representatives of employees have the right to ask for that information. So vitally important that employers have that and have the ability to provide that because they have to provide it on the next business day. So that's already built into our tool, which is obviously going to be really helpful for employers. The other thing we've built in is we recognize that perhaps the most complicated part of this process will be the exemption review. 
So we have a full exemption review module built into our vaccine verifier that not only allows employees to ask for an exemption and provide the details around why they need an exemption, but also has guided decision-making to help HR make these complicated decisions around whether they should approve or deny. And then finally, of course, we have the ability to have employees upload their test results and have that documentation maintained for employers. Um, with regard to what employers are going to want to look for in solutions, they want to look for these attributes because they don't just want to look for a solution that's going to track vaccination status and nothing else. They're going to need to have that documentation secure so that they can go ahead and produce it if they need to. They're also going to need to have that roster of which employees are vaccinated. And very importantly, OSHA confirmed that they have to evaluate those requests for exemption status, or excuse me, for an exemption based whether it's religious or medical. And they're going to have to make sure that they secure documentation supporting those requests. And if they're going to allow testing, they want to make sure that they have a solution that helps them go ahead and keep track of which employees are testing, reminds their employees of their requirement to test, and keeps track of those test results. Yeah, so it goes, it goes far beyond just tracking. It goes beyond maintaining the records, maintaining the roster, and being able to respond to requests and audits for those information at the appropriate level, whether that means anonymized uh, for our, for an employee who wants to know more information or, you know, a full audit if it's, if it's OSHA or a similar regulatory body. Absolutely. Yep. Well, okay. This is all terrific information. Let's, let's move on to what, what possibly many people really want to know more about, which is the mm -hmm. injunction, um, over the, on Saturday, uh, just recently, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, um, the fifth circuit court of appeals, uh, issued an injunction against the mandate. Um, and obviously that raises lots of questions about, well, if there's a, if there's an injunction, what do employers do? So to start with, can you tell us a little bit about the injunction and then what does that mean in terms of the actual implementation of the mandate and the, and all of these rules and requirements we've been talking about. The injunction was issued um, in the Fifth Circuit, as you mentioned, in a case that was brought by numerous religious groups, businesses, and a few states, so particularly Texas, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Utah. Um, and interestingly enough, the Fifth Circuit covers the states of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Um, and in this injunction, these petitioners asked the court to block the mandate based on what they claimed were constitutional issues with the mandate. The court did on over the weekend, as you mentioned, they issued an opinion and they issued what is a temporary restraining order. So it temporarily stops the mandate from going into effect until the court can hear from the parties about whether the mandate is constitutional, whether there are issues with it, and whether th there should be a permanent injunction, which would be decided at a later date. So the court issues this literally one sentence opinion uh, that says that due to grave potential statutory and constitutional issues, it's issuing a temporary restraining order. But what I at least find fascinating about this very short decision is it then goes on to say that OSHA has until Monday, so today, um, at 5 p.m. to respond to whether this in, uh, a permanent injunction should be issued or whether the mandate is constitutional. 
And then the petitioners will reply to OSHA's brief that they filed today by tomorrow at 5 p.m. So they're having the um, sides brief their arguments very, very quickly. And at least in theory, we, we believe that we will then get a very quick decision from the Fifth Circuit on whether they believe that there should be a permanent injunction on, um, on the mandate or not. Uh, one thing that is really interesting to note is that the side that's asking for the injunction does have to prove that the rule violates the Constitution. Obviously, the petitioners believe that they have a strong case there. Um, obviously, OSHA believes that it has a strong case to defend the constitutionality of the mandate. And so right now we're, we're kind of at the mercy of the Fifth Circuit to see what they do. The other thing that's interesting is that this Fifth Circuit case is not the only case that was filed last week. Um, so suits were filed in the Sixth Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, and the Eleventh Circuit as well. And I believe the number is something, I think it's 26 different states um, have filed some type of, of objection to the mandate. So there's a lot of movement right now. A lot of uh, things are up in the air. But we do know that there is a lot of litigation pending. And hopefully we can count on some pretty quick decisions due to uh, you know, just the urgent nature of the issues involved. What does all of this litigation mean for an employer? How do they look at the landscape and say, well, on the one hand, OSHA is saying that I've got some really tight timeframes to respond. On the other hand, there's an injunction and a lot of people telling me that, that, that it might be hung up or blocked. So employers really, they're going to have to talk to their counsel about what their response should be. Um, one interesting thing, I think one of the most interesting things about this Fifth Circuit decision is that typically circuit court decisions are only binding in the states where the circuit lies. However, the Louisiana Attorney General has argued that this Fifth Circuit decision applies nationally. Um, again, open question, at least from, from my mind, and hopefully we'll, we'll have some more clarity on that when the Fifth Circuit rules. Um, but employers are going to have to decide, first of all, what do they think the odds are um, that these petitioners will remain successful? Uh, what do they think the odds are that OSHA will be successful? And what are the odds that this gets in front of the Supreme Court in, in very short order? Um, while that's happening, employers also have to evaluate what are their own policies and what do they want uh, to do in their workforces? And so employers still have the right to adopt policies that they feel are in the best interest of their employees. And so they're going to have to evaluate that as well. And um, it may be what the mandate holds. It may not be. Employers already have some policies in place where they're uh, going in regulating safety in their workplace. So employers have a lot of decisions to make in a short amount of time, but they really want to stay closely involved with their counsel uh, to see whether they should start acting now on the mandate uh, or maybe they already have a policy and they're going to continue enforcing their own policy. And so a lot of decisions have to be made, but I, I do think at least we'll have the Fifth Circuit decision in pretty short order, because as you mentioned, employers don't have a lot of time to comply with the mandate. We're looking at, you know, December 5th uh, for the first piece of this, and that's that's right around the corner at this point. Absolutely. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for all the great information, and we will certainly be keeping folks abreast of the developing litigation and rulings 
um, by the court as those come in. Uh, take a look at the podcast page and our various FAQ pages um, and keep an eye on HR Trends for more information. So for HR Trends, this is Nate Smith signing off. Unum is a registered trademark and marketing brand of Unum Group and its insuring subsidiaries.